Thank you, Colton. Well, it's good to be back. Appreciate you guys letting us slip out and run to Orlando and take care of that little pastoral duty that we had. And by the way, uh, thank you to Caleb McVeigh for filling in to me. Uh, what do y'all think about Caleb? Is he going to make it or not? Yeah. Yeah, I told him last week he, he just got a job. He's uh, he's permanent fill-in. I think I'll be gone next week, Caleb, so be ready. All right. Uh, the last time I was here, uh, we started... First uh, Corinthians chapter 9, because, you know, we, we leapfrogged a, a couple of chapters here. We've been looking at this book for the past several months, but we leapfrogged because, you know, it's a new year, and I wanted to uh, kind of address that with us and help us have somewhat of a focus as we enter into 2023. So we started looking uh, in chapter 9 at the theme of winning, because that word is so prevalent in the end of that chapter. And of course, the key verse that uh, Paul gives us that dominates not only the last part of chapter 9, but uh, most of the rest of of chapter 10, at least the first part of it, is when Paul gives that imperative command in verse number 24 when he says, Run in such a way that you may win. So we want to focus on that for the next several weeks because again, that, that thought pervades the next several paragraphs that Paul pins to this Corinthian church. So let's look at the first five verses in chapter 10 and see how Paul continues this theme of winning. He writes in verse uh, number 1 of chapter 10, For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food, all drank the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness." Well, a a couple of housekeeping notes, I think, that need to be made here before we jump off into this too deeply. I think we need to reiterate the fact that Paul is not talking here about a scenario in which someone may forfeit their salvation. He's, He's not referring to that when he says in verse number 27... I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. The word disqualified is not referring to eternal salvation that one day you might stand before God and you say, well, you just didn't do good enough. And there's a plethora of reasons why both theologically and textually that he's not making that type of affirmation or he's not going down that road. Number one, because make no mistake about it, salvation is not something that you earn, it's not something you gain, or it's not something you win, and it's not a reward that is given to those who did good. Salvation is completely, 100%, by grace through faith. It's a grace gift. God gives it, God does not take it back, because that would say that God found out something about you later in life that he didn't know when he saved you and caused him to change his mind. Man, just what a horrible picture of God that presents. 
And uh, now the textual reason is, is this. Notice verse number 5. I say when Paul talks about running this race and when he talks about disqualification, he's not so much talking about as over there in eternity as he is right here. He's talking about the race that God has put before us uh, in this life, on this planet, in this time-space existence in which we live. It is possible for us to disqualify ourselves from that particular race. Now, notice as this subject moves on, and in verses 1 through 5 of chapter 10, he's continuing that thought, and he's given Israel as an example. Notice some things about this text. What did you notice um, first and foremost uh, 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 about this text? Are there any repetition of words in it? There you go. Notice how many times that word all is used. So he's including, uh, uh, he's talking about the entire nation of Israel, all of those who came out of Egyptian slavery under the leadership of Moses. Now, certainly uh, all of them probably were not, as we would say today, uh, saved, but most of them I think we would have to concede they are. But yet, notice what Paul says in verse number 5. He said, Nevertheless, with most of them God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. Now, any idea what Paul means when he says they were laid low in the wilderness? What, 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 what's he talking about? He's simply saying they were died, they died, and they were buried in the wilderness. Now, here's how I know he's not talking about ultimate salvation here. And he's not talking about these folk fell short of being saved because they were disqualified in some way or another. With most of them, the Bible says God was not well pleased. Who was the most famous one who did not get to enter into the promised land but was laid low in the wilderness? Say it again. Now, who here would be willing to say that Moses is not in heaven? Anybody? As a matter of fact, is there any New Testament attestation to the fact that Moses is indeed in glory? Say, uh, there we go. Look at here how smart y'all are. Uh, uh, ben Wilson says it was Moses and Elijah who appeared to whom on the Mount of Transfiguration? Yeah, he appeared to Jesus. So you see how that analogy totally breaks down? Paul is not talking here about a forfeiture of salvation. He's talking about being disqualified from the race that God has set before you. And if you're disqualified, you may not reach the ultimate destiny that God has for you in this life. So let's look at this passage today under the title of Spiritual Privileges That Should Promote Winning. Spiritual Privileges That Should Promote Winning. Because that's what he does. He comes off of this passage in chapter 9 about winning and running the race and running in a way that we may win to use an Israel as an, an example and show all of the spiritual privileges that they had but yet they didn't win. So let's check it out. What does the scripture say about this type of scenario in which somebody has everything necessary they have everything that it takes for them to win, but yet they do not. Well, I think Paul points out 
several things. Let's reduce them to two and add a few things underneath them. Number one, Paul says that they had the joy of a blessed family. Now, would you agree with me that being a part of a blessed family is a spiritual privilege? Is it not? I mean, we talk today, we hear folk talk about how they were raised in a Christian home. Hey man, that's a blessing from God. That is a spiritual privilege. But do not get me wrong. If you were raised in a heathen household, but yet saved by the grace of God, God can overcome that and you're still blessed, huh? You still have spiritual privileges. So checking out what Paul says when he talks about their being a part of a blessed family. Look what he says. For I do not want you to be unaware. Here's the familial language. He says, brothers, brothers. So Paul is including them in his family. But notice what he does in the very next phrase. That our fathers were all under the cloud. Now Paul includes the Corinthian church in the family of God that spans all the way back into the Old Testament with the nation of Israel. Isn't that cool? Man, when, when, when you are a part of the family of God, you become family with everybody who has been a Yahweh worshiper since the Garden of Eden. And isn't it cool that one day there's going to be a big family reunion? Man, it's just going to be cool one day. When we enter into glory and we get to fellowship with the entire family. I can't wait to sit down and talk with some of those guys, huh? I mean, I want to ask them some questions about the book they wrote in the Bible, for instance. Ezekiel, were you on drugs? What in the world were you thinking? <laughs> you know I'm just, I'm just joking because Ezekiel's hard to understand. But nonetheless, we are included into that family. Hey, your pedigree goes way back if you're a child of God. You are a part of a blessed family. Now, notice what it is, how Paul breaks this down. And there are several ways I could have went with this, but I decided to go in this direction because of what Paul says. Look what he says. For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren. You see, Paul looks at them and he steps into the role and he assumes spiritual responsibility for this group of believers down in Corinth because he's the one that God used to plant that church. Now he's their spiritual mentor. He's kind of their spiritual father. But here's what a blessed family has. A blessed family has a devoted instructor. And that's the role in which Paul steps in. He steps in as a devoted instructor of spiritual truth. And he tells them, look brothers, I don't want y'all to be unaware. He sees it as his role to dole out the spiritual food and the spiritual nutrition to these folk. So he fills those shoes and boy, does he fill them well. Can I say to you, you're part of a blessed family and you have a spiritual privilege if you have someone who's willing to invest the Word of God in your life. And is willing to teach you and mentor you and bring you along, and to grow you up in the faith. Man, what a spiritual privilege that is. There is no reason in the world that somebody who has a mentor, a devoted instructor pouring into their life spiritual things, there's no reason why that person shouldn't win. Absolutely, because that's a spiritual privilege. Hey, just let's just stop and think for a little bit about this. Man, it's a blessing. I'm telling you, it's a blessing. And, and, and I realize that because, you know, the Bible says, to whom much is given, much is required. Hey, I've had the spiritual privilege in my life 
uh, in seminary of sitting under some of the top biblical scholars that have been produced in the United States of America in a hundred years. I mean, I have. And those men poured into me. And by golly, I better not fizzle before the finish line or I'm going to make their work be in vain. You know what I say? So I feel a great responsibility to those guys who took me under their wing and just poured into me in those formative years. What a spiritual privilege it is. And look, if you've got somebody pouring into you, what a spiritual privilege that is. To have somebody who is a devoted instructor of God's Word pour into you on a regular basis. I mean, let's stop and think about it like this. Who do you think has the greatest potential of reaching their spiritual, full spiritual potential in Christ? Is it someone, let's say, who sits under an expository preacher like um, maybe J.D. Greer? Or is it someone who sits under somebody like Joel Osteen? Now look, I'm not being derogatory. I'm just wanting you to think. Who do you think has the greatest spiritual privilege and the greatest opportunity of reaching their spiritual potential? Is it someone who sits under a guy who manipulates the Bible and preaches prosperity gospel like a Stephen Furtick? Or is it somebody who sits under a Bible expositor like Dr. Craig Connor? I'm telling you, one of the greatest spiritual privileges that God can give us, He gave to this church down in Corinth. And that is a devoted spiritual instructor. And man, this passage gives us insight into some of the stuff that Paul must have been teaching them. And get this, Dane, highly missiological. Because here's what Paul was teaching them. We know from the book of Acts that Paul stayed in Corinth for an extended amount of time, about 18 months teaching this fledgling church. And there's no way that Paul would go into this scripture and talk about some of the subjects that he talks about had he not taught them well the redemptive story found in Exodus. So what was Paul teaching those people who had never heard the gospel before? He was teaching them Old Testament redemptive stories and bridging the gap between those Old Testament redemption stories and what Christ has done for us today. Spiritual privilege, number one, they had the joy of a blessed family. And a blessed family always has a devoted instructor. Boy, I could spend the rest of my time right here. Listen to me, moms and dads. You want your family to be blessed and you want your kids to be privileged spiritually? Then spend your time pouring God's Word into them and teaching them how God's Word works out not just when we go down to the church house, but when we're here working out life in our house. You see, that's what gives a child spiritual privileges. And that's what man sets them up for success in winning this spiritual battle that we're in. Because have you noticed this is a spiritual war? really is. Check out number two. They had the joy of a blessed family. They had a devoted instructor. And get this who had declared war on spiritual ignorance. I love it. I love it. Look what Paul says in verse number 10. And again, I like the rendering of the King James because here's what he says. For I do not want you to be... And here's where, how it comes through in the Greek, in the Greek text. Y'all follow me here because y'all smart. Y'all have already proved it. The word is agnosis. I do not want you to be... Agnosis. What's our word? 
agnostic. So what are we going to worry? You know, folks always talk about they're agnostic. Well, you know what they're saying when they say they're agnostic? Huh? They're saying I'm ignorant. That's right. <laughs> because that's what the word means. And the old King James, I think, pulls that out when Paul says, Brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. Now get this. Nothing wrong with being ignorant. There's something wrong with staying ignorant. See, there's a difference. I mean, every one of us come to Christ dumb as a spiritual hammer, don't we? Huh? We really do. But here's the deal. If you're sitting and being a part of a blessed spiritual family under the teaching and preaching of God's Word by gifted expositors, man, ignorance is soon dispelled. And do you know that ignorance, Jesus said, spiritual ignorance is the number one reason why folk go astray? Here's what he said to the Pharisees and Sadducees. He said, gentlemen, y'all are making a mistake because you do not know the Word of God nor the power of God. Here's what Jesus was saying. You can trace every sin, every mistake, every bad step, every time we lose in this race, you can trace it back to ignorance of God's Word. So what is it that a blessed spiritual family has? They have, number one, a devoted instructor, and they have this declaration of war on spiritual ignorance. Now, friends, I'll tell you, that's, that's my goal for Grace Church. That's why we say every Sunday that, that, that part of our goal is to teach the Word of God. It's the only thing that's going to set you up for spiritual victory. It's the only thing that's going to get you across the finish line without stumbling and being laid low in the wilderness. It's the Word of God. Without it, we don't have anything. I mean, and I'm amazed today at how many churches focus on the fluff. Have you ever noticed that? Man, there's so many churches today that got to have the disco light ball. They got to have fog machines. They got to have special effects. They do a great job at all that. And they stand up and some guy makes a passing attempt at a text and misses it totally. Hey, you can't grow winners like that. Just cannot. Because that's not being spiritually privileged. They were spiritually privileged because they were part of a blessed family that goes all the way back into the Old Testament. Paul was their devoted instructor. They had declared war on spiritual ignorance. But spiritual privilege number two. Let's take up in the end of that verse and run all the way through, the end, uh, through, through verse number four with this. Not only did they have the joy of a blessed family, but they had... A journey to a bright future. A journey to a bright future. Now notice, he's talking about the spiritual privileges that the children of Israel enjoyed. They were part of a big family, huh? And I started to go there with that. Just just a big family uh, that came out of, of, of Egyptian bondage. But check this out. God called them out of bondage and He put before them a bright future. He said, I'm going to lead you, Exodus 3, 8, to a land that's flowing with milk and honey. Have you ever noticed that God doesn't redeem you from something bad just to get you something a little bit better? God redeems you from sin to get you to an excellent place. He really does. That's a bright future. 
Would you agree with me? We say it all the time that God's preferred future for you is better than what you would choose for yourself. Because He's that type of God. He's the type of God that does exceedingly abundantly above all that we're able to ask or even think. Do you know the plans that God has made for you? And the answer to that is no, we don't. It's a journey. And God simply expected these people to get on this journey to this bright future. You ever notice that, man, that it is a journey, it's a spiritual journey? Cliff's been teaching this in Sunday school and you know it's amazing. Here's the thing. They could have. Our text talked about this morning. God could have got them and Cliff reminded us in Sunday school that from Egypt until the land of Canaan flowing with milk and honey, you take the shortcut. It was only three weeks to get there. But God didn't take them on the shortcut. And He will not take you on a shortcut either. Here's the reason why. Because the journey is what grows you up and makes you big enough to inhabit the blessings that God has for you out there in your bright future. If God brought you to His ultimate destination right now, the way we are, it would crush us because we couldn't handle it. It's too big for us. So the question that I have is, are we big enough to inhabit the future that God has for us? And I'm not talking about way off out there. I'm talking about this year. Do you have any idea what God wants to do in and through Grace Church in 2023? And here's the question I have to ask myself. God, are we big enough to handle that? Or are we not? And these spiritual privileges, they're what help us grow up and what help us be big enough so that the bright future, the blessing that God has for us doesn't kill us and crush us. So notice, how is it that God was going to get them there? Well, they had this bright future out in front of them. I think Paul gives us several rapid-fire ways that God was going to get Israel to their bright future. And hey, by the way, how He's going to get us. How He's going to get you to the better future that He has for you. Number one, Paul says that they were guided to this bright future by God's presence. Look with me in verse number one that our fathers were all under the cloud. See, that cloud was a theophanic representation of the presence of God. Hey, here's what we think most of it. We think that God has just saved us and set us out there and says, now I want you to go there, now you go make brick without straw. He doesn't do that. We can't get to our preferred future on our own. And so many times we're trying to do that. We're trying to get there in our own energy. And God says, no, no. Here's the way you get to your bright future. You get to your bright future by walking with me. God guided them with His presence to their ultimate destination. And you see, this is what it's all about. I mean, isn't it really? Isn't it what about a life in Christ? It's not about going to heaven when you die is having the presence of God today in a relationship with Him whereby He can guide us on a daily basis to where it is He wants us to go. Man, I love that psalm when David says, God, I don't want to be like the dumb mule that has to be jerked around with a bit and bridle. But I want you to be able to guide me with your eyes. You see, that's so living in the presence of God that you can just tell what God wants you to do just by looking at His face. 
just by beholding Him and looking to Him. Check out number next. How are they going to get there? Well, they were guided to it by God's presence. But number two, they were going to arrive at it by God's power. By God's power. Notice what it is that God did. First, they were all under the cloud and they all passed through the sea. Get this. First thing that they encounter when they come out of Egyptian bondage is the Red Sea. The first thing's going to happen to you after you're saved is God's going to take away all your problems and your life is just going to be happy and you're going to be totally without any obstacles, right? If we listen to some of those guys I just mentioned a little while ago, that's the picture you come away with, huh? But notice, God wants them to know right up front that you're not going to get there in your own energy. The only way you're going to get there is by my doings and by my power. Here's the Red Sea. What are we going to do? Well, ain't no way I can get around it. So what does God do? Well, God just dries the thing up and gives them a path and they walk across on dry ground. Do you hear me? What a spiritual privilege. What a spiritual privilege. And that's what God wants to do every time we encounter an obstacle. You know what? Where do we come up with this old hogwash stuff that says God won't put on you anymore than you can take? That's exactly what He does. Huh? Because He wants you to know that you can't do it. And if it's going to get done, you're going to have to walk with me in my presence and you're going to have to be a witness of my power. Hey, have any of you seen God kill a giant in your life? Huh? Has anybody seen God open a Red Sea? And if He hadn't, have you would have died? Son, that's a spiritual privilege, huh? Ain't no way we ought to be laid low, to, laid low in the wilderness when we see God do things like that. So here these folk were. First thing that they encountered was an impassable obstacle. But there's nothing impossible with God. So it's God's power that's going to get you to where you're going. No way to get there on your own. You can't do it. You're not big enough. Not good enough. God will get you there. Check out number next. They They were on a journey to a bright future guided to it by God's presence, arriving at it by God's power. And then number three, it was announced in a clear picture. Now check this out. Notice what Paul says in verse number two. They were all baptized into Moses. And by the way, he's talking here not only about Moses' leadership, but into the Mosaic law, the Old Testament system. They kind of dedicated themselves to that in the cloud and in the sea. Now Paul is using a metaphor here because he's going to pick this up a little bit later in this book. But here's what Paul is talking about. Paul is using the cloud and more particularly the sea in showing that these folk passed through water in order to get to where it was they were going. So the analogy here is to baptism, right? He even uses the word. says they were all baptized in to Moses. So here's what baptism does. And by the way, you know that we're not saved because we're baptized, right? We're baptized because we have been saved. And that just presents a picture of what Christ has done in our life. Well, Paul jumps back into the Old Testament and he, and he, and he paints this clear picture for us. So what is it that they're passing through the water of the Red Sea? What does it represent? Well, number one, it represents separation from everything that was behind them. 
They're separated. They went through that sea, baptism, water passage. They went through it, and once they got through it, what happened to it? Did it just stay open? Closed back up. Matter of fact, the Egyptian armies were drowned in it, right? You know what that means? That means there ain't no going back to the old life. (laughs) There's no passageway there anymore. And that's what God shows us in baptism. That I am dead to that. That life is gone. As a matter of fact, it's, it's pictured very clearly again with Noah. I mean, God inundated the world. Could Noah go back to the life he lived prior to the flood? No, because that world was destroyed. And that's what Paul's talking about here. There was no going back. And for you and I, there is no going back. Check out number next. Not only does he say that water represents separation from what lies behind, but water represents dedication to what lies before. I mean, what do you think they were going to do? Once the the Red Sea closed up behind them, you think they were just going to look at the sand of the shore on the other side of the Red Sea and say, well, I think it's a pretty good place right here. Let's just live right here for the next 400 years. No. You don't live right there on the bank. You get up and you go. So it, it, it represented dedication to what lies before them. And man, what a spiritual privilege of seeing what God did in that one act. And here God's showing them all of this and He... He he draws them a very plain, he announces it in a very clear picture about what he's done and what he is doing. And it's part of the spiritual privileges that they have. And guess what? It's part part of the spiritual privileges that you and I have as well. It's what the spiritual privileges that set us up to win and win big. Number next, how are they going to get to this bright future? Guided by God's presence, arriving at it by God's power, announced in a clear picture in number Number four, sustained with spiritual provisions. Look in verse number three and four. They all ate the same spiritual food and they all drank the same spiritual drink. Now here's what Paul's saying. You can't arrive to the preferred future that God God has for you if you're only surviving on physical food. Hey, a quarter pounder with cheese ain't going to get you there. A steak and baked potato is not going to get you there. What's going to get you to God's spiritual preferred future that He has for you? It's when our journey is sustained and fueled, if you will, by spiritual nourishment. And Paul talks here about the fact they all ate the same spiritual food. He's probably referring to manna. Now, what's the deal with that? Well, manna manna just don't fall from the sky every day, does it? Well, it did with them, so it was supernatural. It was outside the norm. You remember drinking from from the rock? The Lord told Moses, speak to the rock and it'll bring you water, bring forth water for you to drink. And Paul says all of this was spiritual. Even though the food was physical... The implications of it were very much spiritual and meant to nourish them on their journey, cause them to be spiritually strong to reach God's preferable future. So here's the thing. Yeah, God has a preferred future for me and for you. But you know what? If I'm not nourished spiritually, I'm not going to have the energy to get there. I just won't. 
Have you ever noticed, how is it that so many believers don't even have enough spiritual energy to gather with their family on Sunday morning? I can tell you why. It's because they're spiritually malnourished. Here's how we sustain ourselves in this journey. Jesus said, For man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Paul says, Now I commend you to those Ephesians, to, 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 to God and the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Hey, can I say to you, that the spiritual nourishment that you and I get from the Word of God is like old Popeye the sailor man popping open a can of spinach. And if we don't have it, we just mark this down. If you don't have spiritual nourishment, you will not win this battle. If you don't have spiritual nourishment, you'll never get to where it is that you're going. You'll never arrive at your bright future. We can't keep the spiritual food covered up in physical dust and expect to benefit from it. This is a spiritual privilege that we have. And it's a spiritual privilege that promotes winning. So spiritual food. Yeah, the Word of God. Hey, here's another one. Here's what Jesus said in John chapter 4 when the disciples came back and asked Him, how come you're not hungry anymore? He sent them into town to get something from... from, from the fast food restaurant to bring back. So they were all hungry. They got back and he said, I'm not hungry anymore, boys. They said, who brought you something? He said, boys, I have food to eat that y'all don't know anything about. He said, for my meat is to do the will of him who sent me. Spiritual nourishment, intake of the word of God, doing the will of God, it'll cause you to be spiritually strong. It'll sustain you. It will fuel your journey from point A to God's preferable destination for your life. Check out number next. Not only were they sustained with spiritual provisions, but they were also accompanied personally by Christ. Look what Paul says in the end of those verses. He says, For they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. Now does Paul literally mean that Christ was that rock? No, what he's talking about, he's making the spiritual connection here. And here's what he's saying. Do you know know that, I mean, didn't Jesus say this himself? He said, for I will never leave you nor forsake you. So here we have God the Father represented in the theophany of the cloud. Here we have God the Son represented symbolically in the rock that was providing spiritual nourishment for them. He was providing their needs, but get this. And here's the thing about the Lord. And here's where we go wrong so many times. So many times we seek His benefits, but we don't seek His presence. So many times we seek His arm, but we never seek His face. And you see, that's what it is that the Lord is wanting. That's what He saved us for, to live in His presence, to glorify God and enjoy His presence forever. So here's the thing. If your need is met by Christ, it wasn't that He stood on the other side of eternity somewhere 
and balled up a ball of cosmic goo and threw it on you long distance, if you have your needs met in Christ, make no mistake about it, He brought it to you personally. He was there. Did we recognize Him? I remember an old Conway Twitty song. Anybody else remember that old Conway Twitty song that goes good right here? Conway Twitty had a song. He said this. He said, let me see if I can call it, recall it. He says, yeah, here's what he said. He said, I can't phone it in. I can't mail it in. I can't send it in. Even by my closest friend, I'm bringing it to you personally. And that's exactly the way the spiritual blessings of God are. Spiritual blessings of God are rarely, if ever, disconnected from His presence. He brings them to you. Check out next, and i got to wrap this thing up. Spiritual privileges that should promote winning. Number one, these Israelites and these Corinthians, they had the joy of a blessed family. Number two, they had a journey to a bright future. They had spiritual privileges that should have promoted winning along the way. But yet, verse number 5 tells us, yet they were a bad failure. Look at verse number 5. Nevertheless, and he changes here from all to most. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased. And they were laid low in the wilderness. Here's what they did. With all of these spiritual privileges, yet somehow they found a way to lose. They found a way to lose. How in the world can you do that? See, I grew up in, in South Mississippi, and in South Mississippi, we're so close to New Orleans that sometimes you can't tell the difference. But, you know, I mean, we're, we're definitely in radar range. And the only NFL team I ever knew growing up was the New Orleans Saints. Jason, you know what I'm talking about. And the New Orleans Saints were so bad until about 2006 when they finally backed into a Super Bowl. They were so bad that the fans would show up at the Superdome every Sunday with bags on their heads. They didn't want anybody to know who they were that they were a Saints fan. I mean, that's just them Cajuns. They're crazy, ain't they, Jason? <laughs> Because here's what the saints would do. I mean, we'd always have hope every year. And they'd come out, oh man, Archie Manning was the quarterback. We'd think, yeah, this is our year. And they could come out and you'd think, my goodness, there's no way they can lose this game. And they would find a way to do it. I think, you know, they have got to practice this during the week. Because there's no way anybody can be this bad. And find a way to lose after they were so far ahead. I mean, it was like... The Atlanta Falcons in Super Bowl, what, number 51, 2, or 3? What were they ahead? 28 to 3 in the fourth quarter and lost. How do you do that? What, the same way, that's right, the same way the Chargers did last night the Jaguars, huh? I mean, Heather and I lived in Jacksonville area for so many years, so we feel a little bit of loyalty to the Jags and the Saints just because we lived there, you know? And I want to be honest with you, I turned the TV off after the fourth interception the old long-haired boy threw. <laughs> and that's not a knock. I wish I had his hair. <laughs> I'd take it. <laughs> so anyway, after star quarterback threw his fourth interception in the first half, I turned the TV off. 
Coyote started howling outside about 9.30, woke me up, and I looked at the score in the fourth quarter, 27-7. <laughs> My gosh. I get to church this morning, and somebody says, James wants to know, you misread that. <laughs> How in the world did the Chargers find a way to lose that ball game? Here's all I can say. They didn't deserve to go to the next level in the playoffs if that happened to them, huh? They found a way to lose it. But you know what? Just call us the New Orleans Saints. <laughs> the Atlanta Falcons <laughs> or the San Diego Chargers. Because how many times has God put a privileged, spiritual, silver spoon in our mouth and we end up losing? How in the world can we do that? So here's what all this boils down to. How do we avoid the mistakes of Israel? How do we keep from being laid low before we ever reach our bright future and our destination? Write these down real quick. We're three of them and I'm done. Number one, pursue God's preferable future. Pursue it. That's your purpose in life. That's the reason for which you were born again. He's got your destiny out there. He's made plans for you before the foundation of the world. They were no afterthought. Pursue God's future passionately. Check out what Paul says. Let me just read it to you. Don't, don't go there with me. But listen to what Paul says. This ought to be my, our motto. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 and 13, he says, Not that I have already attained it, or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ. He said that future out there, that goal, that's why He saved me. That's why He apprehended me. That's why He arrested me. That's why He took me into His custody so that I may get there. Who in the right mind would say, no, I don't... I don't have any interest in pursuing the reason for which I was born again. Listen to what Paul says in verse 13. For I, uh, for I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. You see that? That's, that's that baptism thing again, isn't it? Separated from the old life. Forgetting what lies behind me, I press on, I reach forward to what lies ahead. Boy, there's a pretty good New Year's resolution right there, isn't it? So how do we avoid the mistakes of Israel? How do we avoid finding a way to lose when we've been given all these spiritual privileges? Number one, by pursuing passionately God's preferable future. Number two, profit from the spiritual provisions. Profit from the spiritual provisions. And here's what kills me. Man, you know, I got to thinking when I was preparing this message and I thought, now, people who are born again, is it kind of like it is in the physical world? I mean, you know, some folk are born with a silver spoon in their mouth. They're, they're born privileged, aren't they? I mean, we all know folk like that. Nothing wrong with it. Some folk just are. But I thought, you know, spiritually it, it can't be like that. And I had this thought in my mind that nobody is born 
more spiritually privileged than somebody... Nobody's born again more spiritually privileged. And to one degree that's true, but in another degree that's false. Let me tell you how I know it. Because there are people tucked away on the corners of mission fields today that are hiding away just to meet with two or three other believers who would love to have a copy even of God's Word. And maybe all they've got is a couple of pages of it that they were able to spare. That's torn out of an old Bible that they got from somebody years ago. There are people today that are sustaining themselves spiritually and the only part of God's Word they have are two or three pages of the Gospel of John. That's it. And here we have Bibles galore. And we just don't have a hunger or an appetite for it. Hey, I can tell you that some folk are born spiritually, are born again, and they have spiritual privileges that others do not. For about six years, I taught theological education to pastors in the jungle of Brazil who don't have access to the Baptist College of Florida or Southern Seminary or Southeastern Seminary like we have here and can get up and go anytime we want to. They don't have it. And I'm telling you, there have been more than one night that at 10 o'clock after starting teaching them the Word of God at 5, and at 10 o'clock I am wrung out physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, in every way that I can possibly be from teaching the Word of God in a language that's not my heart language. And I say, guys, we got a break. And they say, no! And we come back home to the land flowing with milk and honey. And folk can hardly stand it if you preach past 12 o'clock. You know what I'm saying? Profit from the provisions. Hey, is your spiritual growth commensurate with the spiritual privileges and provisions that God has given you? It's a question we've got to ask ourselves. Because if we're not profiting from them, then what good are they? Might as well not have them. And number next, and I'm done... How do we avoid the mistakes of Israel? How do we avoid finding a way to lose in the fourth quarter? Pursue God's preferable future. Profit from the spiritual provisions. And finally, please the Father. Look at verse number number 5 again. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased. Please the Father. You know what the goal of our life ought to be this week? Not to please me. Not so much as to please you, but to please Him. Because if we please Him, it doesn't really matter whether we pleased ourselves or anybody else. We please the right one. Amen? Huh? So please the Father. question is, the million dollar question is, how do I please the Father? Well, let me just say how you don't please Him. Because this is what the writer of the Hebrew says in Hebrews chapter 11. For without faith... Somebody will finish it? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So what faith proposition has God set in front of you this week? Maybe it's something that's been contained right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 5. Recognizing the spiritual provisions that God has blessed me with and profiting from those. And by golly, this week, God, I'm going to prioritize Drinking deeply from your word. Taking in spiritual nourishment. 
because I want to get to where it is that you ultimately saved me to be. See, that's a faith proposition. Because in order to say yes to that, you've got to say no to something else. By faith, God, I'm going to do this. Maybe by pleasing the Father today, somebody to say, Lord, I, I recognize I've never been born again. I've been sitting here in a land flowing with milk and honey among spiritually privileged folk, and I've never been born again. And today, by faith, I'm placing my eternal destiny in the hands of Jesus Christ and what He did on Calvary's cross for me. Maybe today the faith proposition is, you know what, it's starting 2023. By faith, I want to be a part of this blessed family at Grace. And we want to get to where it is that God saved us to be together. Please the Father, and you'll avoid the pitfalls of Israel. And you'll avoid finding a way to lose when you're way ahead in the fourth quarter. Would you stand with me, please? Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for all these spiritual privileges that you have given us. And these privileges we know ought to promote our victory, ought to cause us to be more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. So God, I pray that this week we'll keep these three closing thoughts in mind, that we'll pursue your preferable future for us. We'll profit from these spiritual privileges and provisions that you have given us. And with all our heart, we'll seek to please you because you are worthy. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord spoken to you today. Colin Dollar's up here on the front as our...